This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. I'd like to join in with the other brethren and welcoming everybody here this morning. I'd especially like to say thank you for the visitors that could be with us. Hope you can make it back each chance you get. Thank you for the prayers on my behalf. It's my prayer that the things we study will be in strict accordance to God's Word. And also be useful to you and beneficial as we continue our Christian walk together. I appreciate all your participation in the service so far. The singing has been great, especially you young kids. I like to hear that. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. And thank you for participating. Thank you for the encouragement for me. And I invite you to continue our participation as we study God's Word together. For a little while this morning, I want to talk about arguing with the Lord. And you know, when you read through the history of the Bible, you read through different stories, we have a few different examples that we look at and we see where people, men, they argued with God for some reason. There's different ways they argued with God. Sometimes He would give them a certain task to do and, and they would either argue by saying why they could or couldn't do it. They would argue verbally. Sometimes they would argue with their actions and do opposite of what God told them to do. And sometimes they would argue with their inaction and just not performing what God did or what God asked them to do. So for a little while this morning, I want to look at three different examples that we have in the Old Testament of where men had argued with God, uh, what happened, what, what happened through those arguments, and what can we learn from those examples of how we can be better Christians in the future as we continue on. So the first example we're going to look at is a man by the name of Jonah. A lot of us know the story. We know what happened with Jonah, but we're going to go ahead and recap that. If you look in the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and he went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So here we have God told him, Jonah, you're, he's a prophet. Jonah's a prophet of God. And he says, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to preach to them. I want you to get them to repent and tell them that what they're doing is wrong and get them to follow after my, my ways more closely. So Jonah got up and instead of going to do what God told him to do, he ran the other way. He ran to go to Tarshish. And we look at that example and we see like, Jonah, where are you going to go? Where are you going that God can't find you? He's not going to see you. But that's what Jonah did. He got up and he ran the other way. And look at the, the, the extent that he went. He went to Tarshish and then he went down to a place called Joppa. He found a ship. So he paid the fare of the ship. He got on board and he was going to go with them. Now, when you continue on with the story of Jonah, of course we know that they were going on that ship and there was a great storm that comes up and all the men on the ship were getting very afraid. And they finally figure out it's because Jonah didn't do what he was supposed to do. So they said, well, we're going to throw Jonah overboard. And so they go to throw him overboard. Now, what God could have done is let the men throw Jonah overboard and just let him die. He didn't do what he was supposed to do. He could have let him die. But that's not what God did. If you look in verse 17, it says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So we see that God could have let Jonah die, but he didn't. There's a couple of different ways we look at that. We read this story about Jonah and we see that he was swallowed up by a great fish. Now, why was he swallowed up by that great fish? Because he didn't go do what God was told him to go do. He would have never been thrown overboard. He would have never even been on the ship 
if he would have just gone to do, do what God told him to go do. But instead, he argued with God by fleeing and running the other way. And God could have let him die, but God gave him another chance. He had him swallowed up by the great fish. And when he was in that great fish, Jonah had a change of heart. He realized that what he did was wrong. So if you look in Jonah chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, now Jonah says, But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pray that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. So now you can see that Jonah gets, he gets out of the fish's mouth, and then he gets on the dry land, and he says, Okay, I'm going to go do what I need to do. So God told him again for a second time. He told him what he wanted him to do. If you look in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 through 4, it says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's the same thing he told him to do the first time. In verse 3, So Jonah arose, and he went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into that city a day's journey, and he cried, and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So you see, the first time that God had told Jonah to go to Nineveh and to preach against the great city, he built up this big story in his head, saying, Ah, nobody's going to listen to me. It's this wicked city. They're going to try to kill me. It's pointless for me to go down there and do what God said. I don't want to go to Nineveh. So he built this great story, and he ran the other way. He argued with God for running the other way. Now, when he actually did go and do what God told him to do, let's look at what happened. In verse 5, it says, So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. So when he finally just submitted to God's word and he just did what God wanted him to do, it worked out great. It worked out the way that God wanted it to, that the people obeyed God. They, they went back and they believed his report. They believed what he said. So that's the first example that we have is Jonah where he was given a task and he literally gets up and he runs the other way to flee from the presence of the Lord. And it didn't work out so well for him. But eventually when he did what God wanted him to do, it, it worked out well. The second example we're going to look at is a, a young prophet by the name of Jeremiah. Now we le read a lot about Jeremiah. We read through the books of Jeremiah. We learn that he did a lot of great things for the Lord. But when he first started out, he argued with God as well. If you look in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, it says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of thy womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. This is the very beginning of the book of Jeremiah. And this is Jeremiah telling us that God came to him and said, I knew you before you were even born. Before you were ever even thought about, I've ordained you as a prophet. Now you're going to be a prophet for me. That's what God is telling Jeremiah. Let's look at Jeremiah's response. In verse 6, it says, Then said I, O oh Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I'm a child. Jeremiah gives this excuse. I can't go do what you've ordained me to do, what you say I'm supposed to go be this prophet. I'm only a child. Nobody's going to listen to me. He gives this excuse. That's how, how Jeremiah argued with God. He was given a task, and instead of just going through with it, he gave excuses. Now let's look at God's response to that in verse 7 and 8. It says, But the Lord said unto me, Say not that I'm a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee. And whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. God said, you know, get those excuses out of here. 
If I told you to go do something, you're going to go do it. And don't worry about going to do it because I'm going to be with you. Sometimes we tend to do the same things, don't we? God gives us a, a task of what we're supposed to do. We like to throw out excuses. God doesn't like excuses. And that's what he was telling to Jeremiah. Don't say that I'm a child. Don't say you're too young to speak. If I told you to go do something, it's because he has confidence in us that we can go do it. And it's not really the confidence in us. It's the confidence in himself that he's going to be with us to go do it. And that's what Jeremiah did. He argued with God saying, I can't go do it. I can't do that. I'm, I'm only a child. He gave these excuses. So that's the second example we have. is someone arguing with the Lord for giving excuses. Now the third example we have is a man by the name of King Saul. If you remember back in history, the Israelites, they didn't have a king for a long time. They were ruled by judges. But eventually they did want a king. The first king that they had in the nation of Israel was King Saul. Said he stood head and shoulders above all the other men. He looked like a king should look. Now, one of the very first tasks that God gave to, to King Saul as the king of Israel was to go destroy the Amalekites. Now, what happened before then, a few hundred years before, you had the Amalekites where they, they went and they killed a lot of the Israelites. And they really did it in a very cowardly way. So you had the Israelites traveling along, and what they would do when they traveled, they had their, their sick, the elderly, the weak. They would kind of all be at the back of the pack, and then the strong would be leading at the front of the pack. What the Amalekites did, they waited for the Israelites to go past them, and then the Amalekites came up from behind and killed all the weak and the sick, the ones who couldn't defend themselves. Very cowardly thing to do. God didn't like that. And God remembered that for a few hundred years. And then when King Saul came into place, he said, You know what, Saul? I remember what they did. I want you to go utterly destroy them. Wipe them off the face of the earth. We, let's read that. 1 Samuel 15, 1-3. It says, Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore, hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek. And utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. So we see here that God gave a very clear direction, very clear uh, task of what he was supposed to do. There, there's no just disputing that. In verse 3, go kill them all. Wipe them off the face of the earth. Everything that they have, I want them to be dead. I want them to be gone. That's the task. So what you have is Saul, he, he heard this task, and he said, okay, let's go do it. And in, in verse uh, 4 and 5, it says, And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them, and tell him 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. So Saul, he heard the task and said, all right, let's go do it. God said to go do something, I'm going to go do it. So he had, at the beginning, it looks like he had full intentions to go perform the task that God wanted him to do. But then we know he didn't go do that. If you continue on in verse 7 through 9, it says, And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. And he utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and of the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, that they utterly destroyed. Now that's not what God said. Right? There's, there's a little bit of differences in that. God said, go wipe them out. Go kill everything that they've got. Well, Saul, 
kind of did it, but he didn't really do it. He spared the king, and everything that looked good in his eyes, he didn't kill. They took of the spoils, they kept some of the things for themselves, but that that was vile and refused, that that didn't look so good, like, okay, we'll we'll kill those. We'll destroy those, like God said. We're not going to kill, like, the nice things, the things that look good for us. If you look in verse 11, you can see uh, God's response to that. God said, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. So here we can see that Saul argued with God by not fulfilling the actions that God had asked him to do. He followed his own plans instead of God's plans. He said he's going to do what he wants to do instead of what God wants to do. God doesn't like that. God said it repents him that he ever put Saul to be king in the first place, that he did not perform his commandments. So then we can see Saul's response. Now Saul tries to backpedal a little bit, and he tries to say, like, well, what he did was not his fault. If you look there in verse 21 through 22, it says, Saul said, but the people took of the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. Saul knew that they should have been utterly destroyed. He said, but the people took of it. I know they should have been destroyed, but the people took it. It wasn't me. It wasn't my fault. There in verse 22, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. Samuel is teaching Saul that, Saul, you had your own plan. You went to go do what you wanted to do instead of what God wanted you to do. And now you're saying that you're taking these things so you can sacrifice unto God. What does God want? Does God want you to obey Or does he want you to come up with these sacrifices that you think are better? And the truth is God wants him to obey. So what we see here is that's the different example that we have from Saul. He argued with God by not fulfilling God's plan, but by looking and fulfilling his own plan, that what he thought was right. So the three types of arguments that we see from the Old Testament is, number one, you have Jonah with running away. He gets a task and he takes off the other direction. I'm gone. I'm not doing what God wants us to do. Number two, you got Jeremiah giving excuses, trying to figure out why he could or couldn't do what God wanted him to do, and said he's too young. That was the excuse that he gave. And then you got a man by the name of Saul who was really just doing lip service, and instead of following after God's plan, decides to follow after his own plan. So here's the different examples that we see this morning. There's plenty of other examples that we can look at. These are the three that we're going to key in on. And now we look at these examples as Christians today. We we read these stories. You know, sometimes we kind of laugh and we kind of shake our heads like, what are these guys doing? Like God said to go do something. Why don't they just go do it? Like where is Jonah going to run away to that God's not going to find him? Or what excuses can we come up with of why we can't do what God has told us to do? Or we look at Saul and say, like, why don't you just follow after his plan? His plan was easy. Like you could do it. Why don't you come up with your own stuff? We look at this, we kind of shake our heads. We say, like, these people are arguing with God. Who do you think is going to win that argument? Right? We know God's always going to win. He's powerful than all these other people. But the reality is, when we read these examples, we do the same things all the time. We make excuses all the time. We neglect our responsibilities and don't do what God wants us to do. Sometimes we come up with our own plans instead of following after God's plans. We do it all the time, just like they do. So now as we transition, I want to look at 
what we can do to make sure that we're not following these examples. Make sure we as Christians today, we're not arguing with God, but instead we're humbling ourselves, we're submitting ourselves to follow after what He wants us to do. The truth is that salvation requires strict obedience. I know there's a lot of churches out in the world today that they don't want to teach that. That you can be saved with faith only, that God loves everybody. You can do whatever you want and God's still going to love you anyway. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that salvation requires strict obedience. That we have to obey in a way that He has taught us to obey. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. I want you to think about who's Jesus talking about. Jesus is talking about the people who, who they love God. They, they want to follow after God. They say they're following after God. They're calling Him Lord, right? These people that call me Lord, Lord, He's talking about good, honest people that want to do, do what's right. But He says, like, not all of those are going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But it's only those who do the will of, of the Father, which is in heaven. Those are going to be the ones that enter into the kingdom. It requires strict obedience. You actually have to do what God has asked you to do. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4 through 6, it says there's one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. What we see here is that there is one way to get to heaven. We know that that one way is through Jesus and following after His example. You know, I hear it said a lot. I've heard plenty of people say it over the last few years. That They'll say something along the lines of, well, we're all going to heaven. We're just taking different paths to get there. You know, will we follow after this denomination or we follow after this, the catechisms or these different beliefs or whatever, we're all going to heaven. We're just taking a little different route to get there. There's only one route, and that route's through Jesus and submitting to God's will that we know. There's only one. There's one faith that we can follow after. So what happens when we don't learn and apply God's Word to our, to, to our salvation? What happens when we don't really take the time to look into God's Word and really study what is His way? What is His will that we should apply in our lives? What happens when we don't do that? Well, the natural course of things is you go to establish your own righteousness. You do what you think is right. And Paul taught this when he talked to the Romans in Romans chapter 10, verse 3. Paul says, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. This is what happens when we don't take the time to diligently study what is the righteousness of God. What is His will for us? What task has He given us as Christians today? When we don't spend that time, then people naturally will establish their own way of doing things. And their own way of doing things may look good on the surface, but sometimes those are ways that lead to death. As it says in Proverbs 14, verse 12, it says, There's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. When you're ignorant of God's Word, and you don't spend the time to really study and to really learn what God has wants you to do, you establish your own way of doing things. It may seem good, but sometimes that's the way of death. Is if it doesn't match up with God's will then it's going to lead you astray. Remember Jesus said in Matthew, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Even we calling Him Lord, we think what we're doing is right, is, is not always right. And we have to make sure. So how can we make sure? 
How can we really make sure what we're doing is God's will, not establishing our own righteousness, and make sure we're not ignorant of God's word? Well, let's study. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You have to spend the time and energy to actually open the book. Really get in there and dig. And if you need help, ask for help. Find people that can study with you, can answer some questions that come to mind. A lot of times it's really not needing so much help. It's more so just taking the action to open it and get, it, get digging and start looking and finding the answers for yourself. Just really look and ask yourself those questions. So we can see that if we really want salvation, if we really want to enter into that kingdom of heaven with God someday, it does require strict obedience. And instead of using the excuses or finding ways that we're arguing with God, we actually do have to apply the things that we learn and find ways that, that we can be the true Christians that we're called to be. Now the next thing I want to look at is, so what is the proper Christian response? As Christians today, how should we act? What should we do to make sure that we're not arguing with God? Well, the first one that we want to make sure we do is make sure you're not neglecting your responsibilities like Jonah did. Remember Jonah, he got the task and he ran the other way. Caused a lot of other hardships in his life where he was gone on the, on the ship at the great storm and then he had to be swallowed up by a great fish. That's his all, all his own doing because he was neglecting his responsibilities. So that's number one is make sure we're not neglecting our responsibilities that we have as Christians. Luke chapter 9 verse 62, Jesus said, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. When you think about that, Jesus is saying, you've put his hand to your plow. What that's symbolizing is that you've picked up the work, that you're going to work, you're doing what's, what you're called to do as a Christian, but then you kind of look back. You look back at the things that maybe you had to give up in order to become a Christian. Maybe those worldly things that you want to go back after. Maybe the things that you would rather do instead of doing the Christian work that we're called to do. He said those people that if you pick up the work and then you decide to look back, you're not really doing what, you want it, what, what God wants you to do, but instead you're doing what you want to do. You're neglecting those responsibilities. You're not fit for the kingdom of God. So we have to be careful of that. When we pick up the work, we become a Christian and we say we're giving our lives wholly to God and to follow after His will, that we're doing just that. We're giving our lives wholly to Him and that we're following after Him. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 through 4, it says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. This is what we see here is that there's plenty of people that instead of hearing what God wants them to do, instead of actually looking at God's way and what He has taught us to do, instead I'm just going to find somebody else that will teach me different. I'm going to find somebody that instead of, of telling me the truth will tell me the things that I want to hear so then I can go do the things that I want to do. And God's not satisfied with that. God says that's the kind of mindset we have to be careful with, that we truly have to submit to His will and follow after Him. And it goes a little bit further in Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 9 and 10. It says that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord which say to the seers, See not. And to the prophets, Prophesy not unto us right things, but speak unto us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. Have you ever heard somebody be bold enough to actually say that? Don't tell me the truth. 
Don't tell me what God's Word actually says. Tell me what I want to hear. Prophesy to me deceits. You may not hear those actual words from people, but sometimes that's exactly what people want. And as Christians today, we have to be careful that we're not falling into that category, that we want to be prophesied deceits, and that we want to be told lies so that we can just feel a little bit better about ourselves right now. Instead, we have to submit to God's Word for what it says. And it says that we have to have strict obedience, that we have to follow after Him. We have to apply the, the words that we see. We have to apply that in our life. The second thing that we see, the proper mindset, is don't make excuses. Remember Jeremiah, he made the excuses. I can't go speak. I can't do what you want me to go do because I'm only a child. I want you to think just for a second. What excuses have you made recently? What excuses have I made? Why I can't go do what I need to do? I think one of the most common excuses that we tend to hear is that we're too busy. Too busy doing other stuff. Got too much other stuff going on. What we got to remember is being too busy, it's all a choice. It's a choice to what you spend your time on. It's a choice to either do what God has asked you to do or to not do what God has asked you to do. And it's, all it is is just an excuse, just as Jeremiah did. He gave the excuse of, I can't go do that, I'm too young. We give the excuse, I can't go do that, I'm too busy. Right? It's just an excuse. In Luke chapter 12, verse 48, it says, But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. <clears throat> For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. Jesus is teaching them here that if you've been given much, then you're required to give much. And that when we think about all of our lives, especially here in this room, a lot of us have been blessed far beyond measure. You think about the things that you've been given. Think about all the good things in your life, all the blessings in your life. And God says, if you've been given a lot, then you're required a lot. And God expects us to use what we've been given for Him and make sure that we're not making excuses, that we can't do whatever we've been doing. All of us have been given the gift of time, that we can spend that time and go bless and help other people. Some of us have been given the gift of money, or of worldly possessions, or of extra food, or anything like that. And if you've been given that, then you're expected to use that and go help other people and make sure we're not using excuses. And He will never call us to do something that we're not capable of. He'll never ask us to do that. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, it says, Have I not commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Whatever God has asked us to do, Whatever commandment He's given us, He's going to be with us to fulfill it. It's not, none of us are trying to do it alone. God has given us tasks to do, and instead of making excuses like Jeremiah did why we can't do something, we just got to buckle down and do it and realize that God is there with us. He's supporting us. He's helping us to do it with us so that we can be there. You know, a lot of times we make these excuses and we think like, well, I'm not going to go do this because something bad may happen, or I'm not going to do this because it may not turn out the way that I want it to turn out. If you look in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, let's read verse 4 through 6. It says, He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the cloud shall not reap. As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand, for thou knowest not whether shall prosper, either this or that, 
or whether they both shall, alike, shall be alike good. What he's teaching us here in the book of Ecclesiastes is if, if he that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the cloud shall not reap, reap. That's talking about someone who's looking for excuses to not go do what the things they want to go do. So if you think about that in verse, verse 1 or verse 4 there, you serve, observeth the wind, I can't go sow, I can't go do the things I need to do because, you know, the wind might blow those seeds around. It may not work out. Or I can't go reap, I can't go harvest the things because it's kind of cloudy, it might rain, it might, might mess up the crop, so I can't go do that. So what Jesus is saying is like when you do that, you're looking for these things of excuses to make that you don't know what's going to turn out. Now let's apply that to our lives as Christians. You're called to go spread the gospel. You're called to go help people. You're, you're called to go serve and do these things. And we tend to make excuses. I don't know if I can do that. It's probably just not going to work out the way I think so. You don't know. You don't know what God's working behind the scenes. You don't know the person's heart that God has called you to go teach and to go help. So what we got to realize is it's up to us just to go do the task. And God's going to be with us instead of making these excuses. And whatever happens, happens. We're not re responsible for the, the end result of those things. We're responsible for making sure we're following through our task. The third thing, the proper response of Christians, is make sure you're not establishing your own plans. Instead, just submit to the plans of God. Remember what King Saul did. He did not go utterly destroy the Amalekites. He spared a few things, and then he said he was going to sacrifice them. That's not what God wanted him to do. God wanted him just to obey, which is to go utterly destroy the Amalekites. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus said, And why call you me, Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? How often do we tend to do that? How often do we, do we call God, God, and we look at him and say, He's my Lord and my Savior, and, and he's done so much for me, but we don't do what he says. Instead, we go establish our own plans. And instead of following after his plans, we do whatever we want to do. In James chapter 2, verse 15, it says, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? So we look at these things like we know we're supposed to help people. We know that there's, there's some of our brothers and sisters in need, and we're supposed to reach out and do what we can to help these people. And instead of actually helping people, we say, you know, God's going to take care of you. I wish you well. Go find food. Go find warmth. Go find clothing. God will take care of you. Well, it's up to us. It's up to us to make sure that we're, we're fulfilling what God wants us to do. So instead of establishing our own way of doing things, submit yourselves to the way of God, what He wants us to do. Jesus calls us hypocrites when we're doing things that we're not supposed to be doing and we're saying different things. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 2 and 3, says, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit at Moses' seat. And therefore, whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. For they do not ye after their works. For they say and do not. How often have we done that? We say one thing and we do another. We look at God's plan. We can clearly understand what God has asked us to do, and yet we, we do something else. We establish our own plans. So the three arguments that we've looked at and the things that we're studying about this morning is, number one, make sure we're not neglecting our responsibilities. That is arguing with God. When you're not following through with what God wants you to do and you're just neglecting them, you're arguing with the Lord. Number two is giving excuses and not performing what God has asked you to do. God's never going to ask you to do something that He doesn't have full confidence you can do with His help. 
And number three is following our own plans instead of following after plans of God that He's set for us. These are the three arguments that we've looked at this morning. When we argue with, with the Lord, we know it's never going to turn out well for us. The same way it didn't turn out well for those people too. They had to go through some hardships and suffers because they are the ones that argued. Not anything that God brought upon themselves, but they brought it upon themselves. So we know that when we argue with the Lord, it's not going to work out. And in, in the book of Acts, we see that, that arguing with the Lord is really judging ourselves unworthy. In Acts chapter 13, verse 45 and 46, it says, But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. And they spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. They were contradicting what Paul had said. They were arguing with Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. What we have to remember is anytime we're arguing with God, we are judging ourselves unworthy of everlasting life. We are putting ourselves in that position. It's nobody else doing it to you. It's not God saying you're unworthy. It's yourself saying you're unworthy because you're the ones, un, un, you're the ones not submitting yourselves to the will of God. So when we argue with God, we, we make the choice to give up eternal life. We make the choice to go against God's word. And I encourage you this morning, don't make that choice anymore. Think about your life. Think about the things that God has asked you to do. And where, where have you been arguing with God? Have you just been neglecting your responsibilities, trying to run away? Have you been making excuses this morning? Have you been thinking about things that God wants you to do, but you're saying there's ways that I can't do what God wants us to do for whatever reason? Or have you not submitted yourselves to God's plan? You're just going about establishing your own plan. Stop arguing with God. Submit yourselves. Be, be humble enough to go to Him and just let Him lead your life. The fact is that God wants a stronger relationship with you. He wants a stronger relationship with all of us. He wants us to be more closely united. And that happens when we submit ourselves to Him and to His will. James chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. In James, it's telling us that when we submit to God and we draw nigh to God, He will draw nigh to us. He will increase that relationship. He wants to have that stronger bond with us, and it's up to us to fully submit to His Word and to His will for our life. And when we do that, we continually draw closer to Him. He's going to continually draw closer to us and make sure that we're not judging ourselves unworthy. So if you've been arguing with the Lord this morning, you haven't submitted yourself, you haven't submitted your life to Christ and baptism, and instead you're establishing your own ways of righteousness instead of following His way of righteousness, I'd encourage you to stop that this morning. And instead, just submit yourself to Him. Be humble enough to say, I was wrong, I don't know what I'm doing, and I want to follow after God's way. And following after His way and wash those, wash those sins away in baptism so you can follow after Him. If you're a Christian this morning, you've been neglecting your responsibilities, you've been given excuses, and you need help. You know you need to get back on track. You know you need to stop arguing with God and instead just submit and follow after Him and do what He says. And we can help you with that this morning. We can help with whatever your need may be. 
If you'd like to submit your life to Christ in baptism, or you need to follow after His Word more closely, you need the prayers and the support of the church, we're here to help. All you have to do is come have a seat on the front pew while we stand and sing the song that's been selected. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.